He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you, and we are talking Players Championship. Scotty Scheffler saved the day for the PGA Tour over this past week, and Scotty Scheffler, boys, joins an elite list a very short list of players to hold a player's title and a master's title at the same time jack nicholas won the players in 1974 won the masters in 1975 and won the players again in 1976 tiger woods did it in 2000 winning the players and the masters in the same year guys anytime you are that third name including Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus, you are doing something extremely special, T-Dub. And Scotty Scheffler, I think we have this conversation every single week. Who is the best player in the world, whether it be John Rahm or Scotty Scheffler? I think you bump Rory McIlroy down a level after what we've seen from him the past few weeks. I mean, I gotta say right now, and I know it's crazy because two weeks ago I was so bullish on Rom saying he's far and away the best player in the world. Scotty Scheffler might actually be the best player in the world right now, T-Dub. Well, it's just crazy how, how volatile it can get at this point. And, and what's amazing is is that, well, like we talk about Rom right, in the run that he's been on, and I think even maybe the last three months his run was even a little bit better than, than Scheffler's was. But, but Scheffler's been doing it now. For over the course of a full calendar year, essentially, we, we focused on all the wins he's had, but he finished second at the Colonial, finished second at the, at the U.S. Open, finished second at the Tour Championship, finished third at the BMW, and then and then he also finished second at the Hero World Challenge, finished third at the uh, Worldwide Technology Championship back in November. So not only has he won, but he's contended in almost every single tournament he's played in. It's really, really amazing what he's been on. I mean, you can look at it on the all-time analytics ranks with the way he's playing right now. It puts him at 12th all-time ahead of the likes of Greg Norman, Phil Mickelson, Henrik Stinson, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, Justin Rose, those guys. So, I mean, Woody, you, you've been around golf longer longer than we have. I mean, where does this rank, this run, this year run that Scotty Sheffler's been on in, in the course of all-time, uh, the golfers of all time? I think we got to really, when we look at world number one, of course, we all made jokes about the, the world ranking points, so it's hard to say number one and this week number one that week if you add those two right now because like you said rory's not quite up to speed he needs to get his mind back on golf um i still i still love what scotty scheffler does over that long period dw you're right on i mean his consistency has been off the charts good um and he seems to really kind of step up under that I don't know, that big spotlight. You know, when we we looked at uh, out there in Phoenix, that was one of the first upgraded type of events. And, boy, uh, he was defending, and he came right out there and showed his moxie. And then he – I was really impressed with yesterday because uh, that, that tournament was – it was always his to win, but it could have been his to lose. And he just seems like he's got a peace about him and a calm – 
that's unlike any of those other guys. So, you know, I think you could still guys flip a coin when you say who's the best player. Well, every given week we just can't tell. But we do know one thing. Those two are head and shoulders above everybody else right now. Couldn't agree more. And speaking about being head and shoulders above everybody else, Scotty Scheffler teed to green this week, gained more shots than anyone has on the field since 2004, guys. Total, strokes gained total. Normally, we give you guys strokes gained per round on average. Strokes gained total, Scotty Scheffler gained 17.17 shots on the field T to green. That's the most since Adam Scott in 2004. And T-Dub, I look at this other stat, and we mentioned the stat that, you know, Tiger Woods now joins Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods as players to hold the Players' Championship and the Masters in the same year. He also joins Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, and Justin Thomas as far as players to earn their sixth win in under 100 starts, guys. By the way, it took Scotty Scheffler a little bit longer. Rory got his sixth win um, in his 53rd start, which was just ridiculous. Jordan Spieth did it in his 83rd start, and Justin Thomas did it in his 92nd start. Now, Scotty Scheffler found form. It just took him about a year or so because he got his sixth win in his 95th start guys and and or 97th start excuse me uh so my point here is he's joining elite company and before we even get into the final round it just seems like scotty scheffler more than anybody else more than rom more than rory more than cam smith more than dustin johnson when he gets in contention he just has that mentality that I trust under pressure. And I know that he's had certain times like the tour championship last year where he's blown leads, but the fact that that didn't hurt him and there was no scar tissue there and Scotty Scheffler just goes out there and does what he needed to do. What we talked about on the radio show that great players would win this golf tournament. He goes out there and wins it by five T-Dub. What he's doing, I don't think is just him being the best player in the world right now. I actually think what Scotty Scheffler is doing right now is historical. I really do. It's definitely on its way to being that way, especially if he can maybe get another major this year to add on top of it. And just to go to what you're saying, the calm demeanor that I saw yesterday in the final round was truly crazy because you look at the first hole, he pulled it a little bit left, was able to recover, made a par. He was in the middle of the second fairway and hit just a horrible second shot, just pulled it about 50 yards and wasn't able to get up and down there. And then was only about 15 feet away from the flag on three, but he had to chip it because he was in the fringe and hit such a horrible chip and then hit a five-footer putt that didn't even touch the hole. And you look at someone, if that was Terrell Hatton, he would have probably broke half the clubs in his back. And Scotty Shovel was able to stay calm, made a few pars on what were the toughest holes really on the course in, in five, six, and seven, that little stretch in there. Six isn't that hard. but And he he actually hit a really good drive on that hole and then hit a horrible wedge. So, I mean, that even adds on to it. And you look at the eighth hole, and that's where absolutely everything changed with that chip in. And you think at the time that, okay, well, his shot pulled it. And you think and maybe if it went in the bunker, that actually would have been better because it would have been a little easier shot because he had kind of a quirky stance. Ended up being a blessing in the skies that stayed out because that's when he chipped in and then rattled off to make five straight birdies from there, four more after that hole. And then at that point, I was able to coast in because I can't think of a, of a golf course that I would 
that would be more to not have a five shot lead on the tee ball or on with the three holes to go. So he was able to handle that stretch pretty well. You need a big lead because Hatton was able to go out and post a 12 under. So, I mean, Woody, what I saw yesterday was kind of what, what we expected. Me and Sam both prognosticated on the radio show that Scheffler wouldn't only win, he'd win by a lot of shots. So one of the few times that we're both on the same track and, and make it right. But I, I agree with Sam because, like I said, with the the, the old-time analytics rankings, which go back to, I believe, 1995 or something along those lines, so we don't have Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer on there. But his current golf right now is the 12th best of all time, Woody. I mean, that's and if he gets a little bit better or crack into the top ten, I mean, that's a definition of historic in my opinion. I think what you saw when you said how calm he was, I think that tells me more than anything how comfortable this guy is getting at winning and how comfortable he is in, in whatever setting you put him in, no matter how big or small it is. He he showed a lot of moxie. Now, I will say this. He he got a pretty good break. When Min Woo Lee made triple on four, it just all of a sudden it gave him that little bit of uh, a breathing room. You're right, though, T-Dub, those, that, that other stretch of holes, five, six, seven, even eight is a very difficult par three. Uh, he, he steadied the course, and everything was going pretty good. Then that hole out with that chip, we talked about it, gentlemen, I don't know how many times. We, we talked about how some guys lose golf tournaments, some guys win golf tournaments. And it's a, there's a swing somewhere in the round that it just sets them off. And, and obviously, it's easy for us to say now, but the chip in on eight and then the run of the next four holes, birdie, 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 birdie. And the golf tournament's over at that point. Carol Hatton giving credit. He made a, made a little bit of a show out of it by that 29 on the back nine. I felt bad for Terrell Hatton because he didn't have anything to bitch about. Everything went exactly his way. To, <laughs> uh, I felt kind of sorry for the guy. He didn't have a way to throw his hands in there going wine bag city. And, um, I said to you, Sam, we text back and forth a little bit yesterday. And I said, he must have heard our podcast, so he's trying to re uh, readjust his attitude. But uh, I just think he had the perfect back nine. There wasn't anything he could bitch about, personally. I do want to go back to the start of this round because I don't feel like anybody ever put any pressure on Scotty Scheffler, but Mimwu did when he birdied number one, and then I felt like Scotty started pressing a little bit. You know, him gunning the chip on number three um, and then taking driver at number four after Mimwu had already hit it right in a bad spot. And so I, I think he was pressing a little bit, but then when Mimwu had to pitch out in the middle of the fairway, it kind of calmed. Scotty Scheffler's nerves. He hit a great shot into four. By the way, before number four, on the four tee box, before Mimwoo Lee hit that drive, we had another A-zinger all-time jinx. He said, Mimwoo Lee is the only player to be bogey-free on this front nine going into the final round. And A-zinger uh, totally jinxed Mimwoo Lee because he went on to triple bogey number four. And then we had Hideki, who was making a charge. He got it all the way to seven under on the round. Uh, you know, he was, what, 12 under, one shot back, and then hit it out to the right on 14, fatted his chip shot and made double. Then all of a sudden, it just seemed like there wasn't any pressure put on Scotty Scheffler, even though if there was, I don't think that he would have cracked. But at the same time, we didn't really get to see it because the only reason why Terrell Hatton was even as close as he was, like what he said, he shot 29 on the back nine, T-Dub. I think the, the difference that you saw between Scotty and Min Wu was just the, the, the decisions off of the tee box. And, Scotty was so much more aggressive. I mean, he had driver on two, hit driver on four, as you mentioned, and kind of got away with it. He was able to hit a really good shot and hit driver on six really down. There was only about 80 yards out. 
And then Lou Lee on the front nine only hit driver on one hole. The second hole and hit it way right. And what we saw a little bit on the back nine, especially with Minwoo's drive on, on 11, that he, he's just not confident with his driver at all. And I, I think that the broadcast was being a little bit too aggressive on Minwoo because we, we talked about it last week in our preview show that you don't have to overpower this golf course, and a lot of holes don't even allow you that opportunity. And Minwoo, having, with his driver, upper 180s, low 190s ball speed, he doesn't need to hit that many drivers anyway. So, yeah, I think the broadcast was a little little bit too aggressive on that front on some holes. Maybe the decision on nine that, that Minwoo had because he, he was in the middle of the fairway, had a little bit of mud on his ball, I think, is probably the reason he didn't go for it. So maybe he would have changed that decision. But, but yeah, the, the shot on force is really what did it for him. I mean, that, that's one of the worst wet shots I've ever seen. I think he made the right decision to punch out and lay up. But but then from there, he just absolutely cold-fatted it. And, and that's just something you, you cannot do when you're in the final group of one of the biggest tournaments in the world. So de- this tournament exposes what, – what happens a lot of times is because they, they talked about – we even talked about on the radio show how Sunday 54-hole leaders of this tournament really don't have good success. Well, a lot of times that's because the, the guys up there like Amin Lee hasn't really been there that much and didn't have the experience. He's won a couple of times on the DP World Tour, but he's nowhere, nowhere close to ever winning a tournament as big as the Players' Championship. And that it got exposed – yesterday and you saw where Scotty Scheffler was able to ha- still have his confidence and still be able to prevail and be patient even when things didn't look like they were going well at the start but but Sam you kind of mentioned it earlier with that uh, Terrell Hatton's 29 on the back nine I, I mean Woody to go f- to birdie 14 through 18 like that to finish like that and hit that shot on 18 it's some of the best golf I've ever seen I mean it's truly crazy and I, I at one point I thought it was going to put a little bit more pressure on him until Scheffler had that magical run um essentially 8 through 12 uh, I thought Hatton's 12 12 under actually had a chance there for a while. Listen to this stat, guys. How much money was that little stretch for Terrell Hatton worth? If he would have parred 14 through 18 instead of birdie, it would have cost him $2.258 million if he would have made pars instead of birdies. How crazy is that? That's pretty crazy. That birdie he made on 18, guys, that was off charge good. I mean, of all the shots he hit on that back nine, that that out of that right rough, I had a good lie to hit it cut around there, and it was like four irons, <laughs> is what somebody said. Uh, that was world class to say the least. Um, I was interested to see, Sam, you might have this stat. Um, you know, that bogey men move Lee made on 18, he went from a tie, would have been a tie for fifth, I believe, with Matsuyama into a tie for sixth with about seven guys or eight guys. So that was expensive bogey on number 18. And so here's the payouts. So Matsuyama made just over a million dollars. Everyone who tied for sixth, Max Homa, uh, Justin Suh, Justin Rose, Ling Mirth, you had Sung J.M., Cam Davis, and Min Woo Lee all tied right there, eight under, tied for sixth. Those guys made 736000 So it- Yeah, it wasn't half million. Uh, but it also cost him... Probably, I think if he would have won that much money, he might have been able to earn tour privileges, too. Anyway, long story short, the bottom line was that Scotty Scheffler was hitting driver because he's comfortable with his driver. Those other guys are not. And they always used to tell me, you drive for show, you putt for dough. Well, that's not true. You drive for dough and you putt for dough. If you can't drive your golf ball very well, you're not going to win very much. If you can't putt, that for sure happens. But Scotty Scheffler took the driver on a lot of holes that a lot of people questioned and yet hit him perfect every time. So, um, again, he's by far head and shoulders. He's a better golfer than the rest of them right now. 
Guys, I want to talk about Victor Hovland, and Javi does end up kind of backdooring a top three, a tied for third at 10 under par. Uh, you know, he had to dodge bullets like from Tom Hoagie, who made a bogey on 18, hitting it into the left greenside bunker and making bogey. Had to dodge the bullets from Cam Davis coming down the stretch. You know, he hit a perfect drive on 16. I'm thinking that Hovland is cooked, finishing in the top three, and then he somehow hits it way left and fats it in the bunker on 16, then makes double on 17. Uh, so Victor Hovland does end up tying Tom Hoagie at 10 under for tied for third. But let me take you back to number 13 because all of a sudden when Hovland birdies 13 and makes that huge swinging left to rider on 13 to get to 10 under, he was only two back of Scheffler at that time. But then Hovland coming down the stretch, he burned the left edge at 15. Javi then snap hooks it on 16 Gives himself no chance to make a birdie there, even though he did hit a solid five iron to the left edge of the green and burned the right edge there. Uh, and then Hovland hit a great shot into 17 and burned the left edge. Uh, and then, like I said, he pars 18. And so we were talking about, you know, what that Hatton finish did for Hatton. Hovland did the opposite. He parred 14 through 18 and ends up finishing tied for third in the golf tournament. I thought when Hovland birdied 13, he had a chance to maybe put some pressure on on Scotty Scheffler, and it just didn't happen, T-Dub. No, it was really a pretty classic Hovland tournament when you look at it. It was gained 1.76 shots approach, which is exactly what you expect. Gained about half a shot off of the tee, so his ball striking's there. Lost a little bit of shots around the green, you expect that. And gained about half a shot on the greens, and that's really the difference for Hovland. It, it really, at this point, he hits his... His all his shots about the same. He's, his chipping is going to be about the same, and, and then it, it, it's all dependent on his putting. And really, he actually met that putt on thirteen, Sam. I thought was going to be absolutely huge, and I thought it was going to propel a little bit of a run. He missed that little one on fifteen. Fourteen's a hard hole. You can't really expect to bury that one. He's going to be a lot more likely to. to I thought he made bogey because that whole played at four point three two is one. And of the by the way, real quick, before court. you get to fourteen, when he made that putt at thirteen, Scotty Scheffler had not chipped in at number eight yet. So from that point, Victor Hovland played even par, and Scotty Scheffler then proceeded to birdie his next five holes. So that was massive. Yeah, and, and you, you look at it too. What was the, the putt that he missed on on fifteen? It was it was not very far. It was only about fifteen feet or so, something like that. So it could have easily made that one. Those are the putts that you have to make if you're going to chase down a great like Scotty Scheffler. And, and then he wasn't able to hit that horrible drive on sixteen, hit his snap hook, and then actually recovered pretty well from there, able to to make a par, but then also not able to, uh, to birdie 17. But w- with how people were playing down the stretch as well, I mean, kind of lucky that he didn't just hit in the water on 17 because everyone was collapsing on that hole. It was truly crazy. i never seen so many balls go in the water from the last groups, and I think that just had to do with, with the, the – la- the, it, it wasn't the extreme big names that were hitting it in the water a lot of times, uh, with the exception of maybe Max Homer when he got up there was the exception. But, like, Cam Davis hit it in the water there. Aaron Rye hit it in the water. Uh, along with other numerous guys, too, as well. So, Reminded me uh, a little that, bit that of whole, 12 at Augusta in 2019, didn't it? it? It had a lot of similar vibes, yeah. It was basically handing the uh, the trophy to Scotty Scheffler is what it was doing, just saying, hey, just have to play solid golf from here and doing it. But I think what made the, the tournament not have as much drama is, is that no one was really able to push Hatton for second. I thought Hovland would have even been able to do that for, for a stretch and just wasn't able to do it. Tom Hokey had a chance to make a little bit of a run, and he still wasn't able – uh, to get it done. He made a bogey on 11 coming in and then also bogeyed 18 as well, or else he would have been up there. So 
I, I don't know, Woody. I think that it, this tournament, it, it was extremely exhilarating to watch for the first, you know, four hours of it or so. But the last hour, hour and a half, when, when you knew that Scheffler was going to win, and then there was no chance that anyone was going to be able to catch Hatton for second, it kind of deflated a little bit on the tournament. But yet it's still exciting to see to see if Scheffler, for some reason, was going to make a 7 or 8 on 17, which was never going to happen. But, but at least you still have that anticipation that something could, uh, chaos could ensue just with these uh, characteristics on these holes. Well, that was the only thing that could have gone wrong, and, and, and not that it hadn't happened at that hole, but I, I don't see that Scotty was ever going to do that. Um, I'll tell you what was funny, guys, is we've talked about Hoblin. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for him to win the United States? If you listen to you guys with your statistics, it's still his short game. It's his putting and his chipping, and it's not much. Guys, what, what would a half a shot? or one shot do for him. It makes him a multi-winner, just like Scotty Kessler has become, okay? He's got everything so close. we got to find a way to get Victor to a psychiatrist or somebody that can get him just one more shot, one of those places, and he'll be a multi-winner also. So the golf tournament was fun to watch. It was exciting. I thought it was exciting uh, for a while, but then – it's always fun, too, to watch a guy devour the field when he's that good. I, I, I enjoy watching somebody play golf that's that good and that technical and tactical and how he goes about his business. Um, I'm not comparing him to Tiger by any stretch of the imagination, but guys got Tiger used to win golf terms by 12, 15 shots, and we still watch because he was so doggone good. And you mm-hmm. just wanted to watch him because he was so good. I'm starting to like that Scotty Scheffler the same way. Um, I love watching him come to 17 and everybody think, well, he could still have a train wreck. No, he's not. Should have made two. He just lagged that putt up there. But <laughs> he, hit a, he hit a great golf shot under all the pressure in the world. And he did that a lot. So, Whereas, yeah, it was kind of boring from the standpoint one by five. It's also boring to watch somebody be that good at their sport. Hey, I agree with you. And let me go back to the other guys at 10 under because I mentioned that Victor Hovland and Tom Hoagie finished the golf tournament at 10 under. There was a player that got to 10 under at one point in this late in his final round and finished tied for 44th. That's Taylor Montgomery. <laughs> He played 15, oh 16, and 17. Seven over par? Yeah, Guys, yeah, he yeah. played 15, 16, and 17. Seven over par. He makes a five on 15 after birdieing 14. He doubles 16, and he makes a quad on 17. Talk about a guy that goes home with a sour taste in his mouth. We saw what can happen on those final four holes by what happened to Taylor Montgomery, but unfortunately, uh, he really just, <laughs> golly, I-, I feel bad for the guy. I really do, because he costs himself so much money, T-Dub. Yeah, Taylor Montgomery did not represent the Taylors very well there on those final few holes stretch. <laughs> and and we-, we talk about that, uh, like Terrell Hatton, the guy who made so much money on the back nine, well, if 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 Hoagie or not Hoagie uh, Montgomery would have stayed at, at that minus ten range, minus T third, he would have made uh, a little under a little over a million dollars. And at this point, finishing T forty four, he made um, seventy five k. So I mean, that's just wow. almost a million dollar difference uh, on on those few holes, which is just like you said, it's sad to see. Even if he just would have 
maybe played, maybe just only hit one ball in the water on 17. What was funny was he actually hit it in the water on the crosswalk area. So it crossed the hazard up there. So that's where he went up and dropped. And then he chipped in the water in his next shot. I mean, but I mean, in all fairness, it was one of the most difficult chip shots that you'll have on that golf course. But at the same time, maybe the decision, maybe going to the drop area would have been better, even though you think I'm only 15 yards from the hole here, I should do this. But he was just literally put in a false position. And then obviously the bogey on the par five, 16th was just absolutely unacceptable. But you could accept a bogey on 15, Woody. But but play, they play 16 and 17 had a combined 14 strokes. I mean, you're just pissing away dollars at that point. Well, yeah, and, and we talked about it the other day. You know, you become in that fog or that shock is what it really is, guys. You know, yeah, we want to talk about if they'd done this, if they'd done that. But this is a riddle for you, and you can think about it, and you'll give me the answer when we're off air. <laughs> Do you know – if the pilgrims would have seen a cat before they saw a turkey, we'd all be eating something else for Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> so those I do know the answer, Woody. I, I do know the answer. <laughs> yeah, that, that, those hits and buts. Yeah, it, it, those hits and buts are just not there, guys. We can't. We want to do that. It's easy to do that. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of guys that were sitting at home that night going, Many Christmas, how much money I just cost myself, but but they can't, they cannot do it. They just got to move on. Hopefully next year when Taylor Montgomery comes back to those series of holes, he gets some uh, oh payback, and maybe he birdies them all this time. But he's going to have to learn from the mistakes like everybody does that plays golf. It's just tough game. Yes, it, it absolutely is. Uh, let's go to, uh, I don't know, who do you guys want to talk about next, you know? I've got you disheveled, don't I, Sam? I'm sorry. You guys think about all that delicious Thanksgiving food that Woody was talking about. <laughs> Sam is disheveled. I'm just ruining the day. I'm sorry. Right, here, here, here's two guys. Here, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to get us back on track, guys. I'll, I'll do my get best. Back guys. Here. I'm sorry, sorry back. guys. I went off the rails. Two guys who made a run at this tournament, Woody, at, at one point. Max Homa and Hideki Matsuyama also collapsed coming down the stretch as well. Hideki had it to, what, 11 under or, or 12 under, actually, and then doubles 14 and then bogeys 18 coming in. And then Max Homa had it to, uh, what was that? Uh, he was four under on the day, so he was nine under on the tournament. And then he he does, he plays the last uh, six holes and one over. What do you think of those two guys not able to uh, capitalize on their good first twelve holes that they had? Well, they were on a roll too. And and Max Homa, gee, many Christmas that you know, guys, that uh, that twelfth hole there at Sawgrass, they changed it a few years ago. They put that lake on the left hand side to make these guys as a rich reward. Boy, that is a tight little golf shot. Max Homa gets up there with driver at three hundred and seven yards and plays a cut shot in there and one hops it into the flag or it flew into the flag. I'm not sure which it did and rattles the pin from 307 yards with a water hazard that's not 20 feet or 20 yards to the left of the green. So it, uh, it showed me all kinds of game, but of course he didn't finish off his round quite good. Of course, knocking in the water on 17, what really killed him. Uh, Hideki, we haven't seen anything out of Hideki in a long time, guys. So it was kind of fun to see him come uh, at least a little bit up on the leaderboard, a little bit in the limelight. I think because he hadn't been there in a while, he didn't finish real well either. It, it Basically, guys, it was Scotty's tournament. He grabbed him by the throat and he choked him out. And they didn't ever have a chance on him. 
one thing that I did like to see yesterday from Hideki Matsuyama is he was getting it done on the greens. And if Hideki can putt like that, we're going to start seeing Hideki in the top five on Sunday on leaderboards again because yesterday really the only reason why he wasn't even in the top three was because of that fatted chip shot, which was technically because of a a, a wayward second shot there at number 14. But yeah, if he putts like that, like in round four, he gained 2.62 shots on the field on the greens. Man, if, if he can do that, he is still Masters champion Hideki Matsuyama. And then you guys mentioned Max Homa. And Max Homa, guys to me, is still the fourth best player in the world right now, maybe even the third, considering how bad Rory McIlroy has been playing as of late. And I got to ask you guys about that shot on 17 because I felt like he hit it right where he wanted to. It just went too far. I can't believe he hit wedge over the green. I think that he was even shocked when that ball took that giant hop. Obviously, you can't land it on that back tier. Otherwise, it is going to take the giant hop. But I can't believe he hit wedge that far, T-Dub. I I couldn't believe it. I don't think he did either. Well, and I think we saw from a lot of guys who who were hitting in the water in that hole. I think everyone was hitting a little bit long. And a lot of it had to do with the the greens were a little bit firmer than they were the day before. But also, fact if they're just not accounting for the adrenaline that goes in there and you're going to you're going to hit it those extra three to four yards further just because of your your juiced up it's the 71st hole of the biggest purse on the pga tour and, and you're also playing the island green you got a lot of nerves going on so yeah you're going to hit it a little bit further and that's what i saw from a lot of these guys it was just i, I didn't expect the player of max Homa's caliber to do it and maybe he just misjudged the wind also you had you had the uh they were mentioned there was a storm coming through up there in south georgia north florida and it was pushing all the wind down which is why there was some gusts there so that could have a little something to do with it, Woody. I mean, I can't think of a of a worse hole, maybe besides 12 at Augusta, where you want to step up and the wind is just swirling trying to guess how far to hit. It just sounds like a nightmare to me. 12 at Augusta in that one. Um, uh, it's Scheffler hit gap wedge, and it was a perfect club. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I think Homer got caught a little bit, thinking the wind was going to hit his ball and knock it down a little bit more than it did. Uh, one thing they always say, you almost hit it too good. He probably hit it too good, so it just cut right through that wind. Uh, I still want you guys to think back with that that shot that I told you I had to hit there with a four iron. <laughs> That's so crazy. When they're hitting wedges, that is nuts. They're hitting wedges in the water and stuff like that. I'm going, yeah, that ain't nothing. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 we talked about the last show. You remember, guys? Is that 17th a good or bad hole? Well. I don't know. The, the verdict's still out. Sam, you and I kind of liked it. Taylor, you didn't. Um, one thing you can count on about that hole is it, it is going to give you a train wreck. <laughs> it's going to give you uh, a couple of three aces, too. So uh, from the standpoint of entertainment value, you you got to love 17. From the standpoint of is it a good hole or a bad hole, I don't know. The verdict's out on that. Guys, another guy that I want to ask you guys about is Colin Morikawa. And as we lead up to Augusta National, I feel like he is one of those elite ball strikers that should have a chance at Augusta National. Unfortunately, the putter has not been cooperating. Last year, it kind of has been at the start of this year, but it's still very streaky. For instance, in this golf tournament, He gained almost a full shot on the field in the first round on the greens. In the second round, he almost lost a full shot on the greens. In the third round, he lost almost two shots on the greens. And then in the fourth round, guys, he almost lost another full shot on the greens. He plays the weekend at even par. 
very disappointing weekend from Colin Morikawa, and you can point to one club, and that is the putter, T-Dub. And it's just been the streakiness of it. I mean, even you you look at his last, uh, really every event he's played since uh, since uh, the Phoenix Open, he's lost strokes on the greens three out of four of those events, and the, the time he didn't, he finished sixth at the Genesis. And his finishes going throughout this year, second, third, missed cut, sixth, missed cut, 13th. So, I mean, if he just has a, le- a little bit of form, he- he's able to finish up in the top 10 of, of these elevated events. So he's playing great golf. And he, he was only, he was second in the field this week, strokes gain approach. The only person who was better than him was Tom Hokie. So, I mean, he was, he's been hitting it, he's been hitting it exceptionally well. And the only time he hasn't gained shots off the tee either was last week at the Arnold Palmer. So it's, he, he does have something there, Woody, but if he's not able to get that putter rolling because just how streaky it is, it's hard to predict that he's going to win a tournament, but you can definitely predict on the uh, in the top ten unless he's just absolutely atrocious with the putter, which evidence of a, a couple of events this year where he just misses the cut. I've, I've been watching golf for a lot of years, as you guys realize that. And uh, I, the one thing that I, it always scares me about a guy when we talk about it, can he win or is he going to be a, a factor for a lot of years, I always go back and I look at their putting, Okay. Tiger never changed his putting stroke. Uh, Jack Nicklaus never changed his putting stroke. None of them ever went left hand low, claw, um, setting it into their wrist or their arm. I saw Fowler now has got a, a putter into embedded into his left forearm. Um, the reason why they didn't is they never quit believing they were a good putter. They might not put it good every week, but they always thought they were good putters. Jack Nicholas used to always act like he had a spike mark every time he missed a putt. There wasn't a spike mark every time, guys. Come on, that's bull. He just wanted to make, in his mind, think, wow, that was such a good putt, I got screwed, okay? You know what I mean? He just never, ever believed he was a bad putter, nor did Tiger, okay? Any really good putter never believes he's a bad putter. These guys, at some point, have questioned because they've changed their putting grip. They've changed putters. They've changed styles. Um, I don't know. I just, I just telling you guys the best players, the greatest players in the world, their putting stayed with them throughout their whole career. Cole Marikawa is very young to be struggling with a putter. He's not old enough to be struggling with a putter yet. So I don't know. I, I just hate it because I like him as a player. But, boy, he's going to have to find uh, something that tells me he can become a world-class putter, and I have not seen it. Guys, another guy that was 7-under tied for 13th is Ricky Fowler. And in Ricky Fowler's last five events, don't look now, but he's finished tied for 11th, tied for 10th, tied for 20th, tied for 31st, and tied for 13th. That is very consistent play from Ricky Fowler, and he's hitting the irons great. And in four out of those last five events, guys, he's gained over a shot on the greens. So whatever he's doing on the greens is working, and that's where he was really struggling last year because he was struggling with the full swing and putting like crap. And this year he's putting great and hitting the irons great. I see Ricky Fowler making some big strides, T-Dub. What are your thoughts? (laughs) He is definitely making some strides. There's no doubt about that. He's up to uh, the 30th ranked analytically player in the world, which I, I think is probably close to about right with what we've seen, especially with his iron play. I mean, he hasn't lost strokes gained approach going all the way back to the FedEx St. Jude last year. So whatever he's figured out with him and Butch is definitely working with the irons. 
still struggles a couple of times off the tee occasionally. He, he's either hit or miss there. He, he's never close to just around middle of the pack. He either gains about .7 off the tee or he loses about .7 shots off the tee. That's kind of crazy to see. But one thing he has struggled with is his chipping as all of this year. He's only gained strokes gain around the greens two out of his, uh, what is that, seven events now. So he definitely needs to work on that. And, Woody, I think the biggest thing for me is that there's been a few times where I've been watching golf and I see Ricky Fowler's name come up on the leaderboard and then within about two to three holes, he's not there anymore. It's just something magically just poof. The, the fairy dust came and he just disappeared from there. We're like, where did he go? We have to scroll down. He's down in 20th place. And then he'll make a couple birdies coming in to, to finish around, uh, you know, 10th or 11th or 13th, something like that. So I, I don't know, Woody. It's just, I think coming down and once he gets into that pressure, he's still got, he's still got to get comfortable in those settings before I'm going to believe that he can win a tournament, even though he is playing really, really good and a hell of a lot better than he has over the past uh, two to three years. Most definitely. He is showing some signs of, of, of the old Ricky, so to speak. But you're right. No, I mean, he had a great shot on 17 yesterday. Only had like five-footer and, and did not. He just waved at the five-footer and didn't even come close to making it. So um, there's still something that's missing there. And Of course, when you're talking about his short game, guys, Chipping and putting are a lot alike, okay? It, they're both very much feel and touch, all right? So if a guy has been struggling with his putting, so to speak, usually he's not going to be a great chipper and vice versa, okay? <laughs> if he's not chipping it all that good, he's usually not all that great a putter because those two shots in golf, gentlemen, are so much with the hands. Uh, even though people say, well, you got to rotate your body. Yeah, you do. But your feel on the club, how you feel the club in your hands with putting and chipping is a big part of if you're any good at it, okay? Scotty Scheffler, uh, Jordan Spieth, there's a lot of guys out there that can pitch the ball unbelievable. Well, they also roll that rock pretty good, too. So uh, I said I saw Ricky, looked like he was using a putter there and embedded up into his left forearm. Obviously, it is helping because his stats tell me he's putting better. But uh, if he's still not chipping the ball up to his expectations, it still tells me there's something with his hands that he's just not that confident yet. Let's say yet, because I think two of us at this podcast are pulling for Ricky. One of us, not so much. I think that Ricky Fowler is going to win at some point this year. I'm still sticking by my preseason predictions, guys. Uh, Fred Couples uh, got astray this week. He does not have the course record at the players anymore. Neither does Greg Norman, Robert Castro, Martin Keimer, Jason Day, Colt Nost, Webb Simpson, Brooks Kepka, or Dustin Johnson, or Asterix, but Hideki Matsuyama in 2020. All those guys have shot a 63 at the Players' Championship. Tom Hoagie goes out in round three and shoots a 62. Now, guys, as far as how the course was playing, it was the lowest scoring average in a single round at the Players' Championship since 1983. It was an average of 69.57 in round three this week at the Players' Championship. But I got to ask the question I asked T-Dub on the radio show to Woody. I asked T-Dub... Where does this round rank in historical great golf rounds? Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, when I look at the TPC golf course that I played back in the early 90s, I didn't ever see a 62. Uh, you know, my highlight reel at TPC, guys, I meant to tell you this last week, uh, 
my highlight reel at that golf course or that golf tournament was I caught about a 10-pound bass off the putting green on Wednesday afternoon that I had to beat a caddy off. He was trying to take it from me and take it home and go eat it. And I said, you can't eat a fish like this. It's a trophy bass. <laughs> so I threw it back. I thought the guy was going to kill me. But that's my highlight reel at the TPC course. Um, I don't know, Sam. You know they call it the fifth major. It's a big event, so it's got a it's got to rank up there pretty far. And the fact that nobody's ever done it—that's why they're called a course record. And the guy that he passed, I guess the one that was the most impressed. I don't know if y'all saw the video of Colt Nose where he was watching him make the putt to shoot 62 <laughs> and he was visibly disappointed. He was <laughs> upset. I don't, I don't think Greg Norman, yeah, I don't think it's going to crush Greg Norman or Brooks Kepka or a lot of those guys you mentioned, but Colt Nose was, he was disappointed because that was probably his last chance of any kind of uh, fanfare. And they just, Tom Hoagie just took it from him. <laughs> Tito, give your thoughts. If people didn't hear the radio show, what were your thoughts on Tom Hoagie's round uh, in round three? Well, you know, there's a certain point where you can't really talk bad about a 62. It was a fabulous round of golf. He gained 3.89 shots gained approach, and he gained 2.43 on the green. So he was hitting it close and then making every putt. If there's not a bigger recipe for success than that, I don't know what is. But you look at because you asked the question, where does it stand all time ranks? He, he the the round strokes gained total gained seven point five nine, and you, you can look at the best all time rounds. The best round of all time was uh, Jim Furyk's fifty nine in the second round of the twenty thirteen BMW Championship. He gained thirteen point oh three shots on the field, and, and so this list here goes all the way down to two hundred. And the two hundred best round was at eight point nine six. So Hokey's round was still a full shot less than the 200 best round analytically of all time. And what I said on the radio show yesterday was I kind of translated to what, what Brendan Grace did at the, at the British open at Royal Burkdale. I can't remember what year it was, but he, he shot 62, which broke the all time record for a major. No one's ever shot 62 in a major, but it was on a par 70. It was extremely wet conditions. The scoring average was extremely low that day. So no one in the annals of golf really looked at it and said, oh, well, that's the best round in a major ever shot. No, no, no one thought that. So it, it, I kind of translated to that where, yes, it's a great round, and it, it has the official scoring record. But if you look at the all-time rounds played at TBC Sawgrass, while I definitely think it's in, it has to be in the top ten, obviously, I, I think that there's been a decent amount of rounds probably played at this course that were a little bit better, even though the scorecard may not necessarily reflect that. Yeah, by the way, that Brandon Grace round was in 2017, uh, like T-Dub said, at the Open Championship. I agree with you guys. Like, this is nice, but then you have the caveat that it was literally the easiest day at the Players' Championship since 1983. Um, guys, I, I want to transition back to Scotty Scheffler to wrap this up. Scotty Scheffler has been extremely clutch in his career, albeit a very short career at this point, but when he has the 54-hole lead, I'm going to list off where he finished. At the 2020 American Express, he finished third. At the Cadence Bank, uh, Houston Open, he finished tied for second, but he did get wins at the Masters, the Phoenix Open, and the Players. By the way, the Phoenix Open and the Players are both here in 2023, um, and the other ones are like the Charles Schwab uh, back in 2022 last year and the Tour Championship 
He's never finished worse than third when he has the 54-hole lead. And even at the American Express, he was tied for the lead when he ended up finishing third. And so, guys, my point is when Scotty Scheffler is up there, he's not going to just you know blow up and give it to the other guys. And I feel like that's the mark of a great champion, T-Dub. Oh, it 100% is. And you look at how how things could, could be different. And we, well, I don't want to go back to Woody's analogy earlier, but I just want, wanted to play. You know, live in an alternate universe and see what may have happened. If if Scotty Shepard beat Sam Burns in that playoff at the Charles Schwab, as you mentioned, we, we could be looking at, at Scotty Shepard's over the last few years entirely differently. And then you have when he blew the six-shot lead of the third championship. I mean, it's literally, if he would have won those two and done everything else the same way, we'd be looking at, at this as one of the best, best years of, of golf that, that we've ever seen, even though we're still even considering that up to this point. So it's, and you know, another example would be like if Colin Morikawa, who we were just talking about earlier, if he had not uh, collapsed at the, at the century tournament champions in Hawaii, maybe we don't look at John Rahm's run as extensively as we do, but we live in this universe. So we have to give what, what we're dealt. And at this point, Woody, I think Scotty Scheffler has to be the favorite at, at Augusta going forward. And, I think he, even whenever he plays in a couple weeks down at the match play, I mean, I, this is the last guy that I want to play in a match play format or any type of format. I got to tell you that Scotty Scheffler is the last guy I want to play heads up. I want him to be on his team, but I don't want to play against him right now. Good Lord. There's not enough shots in the world I could take. Um, he has proven, though, guys, I think he has proven that he's got moxie with a lead to go out and finish it off. Uh he hadn't got a lot of those stats to go off of what he had four or five, but what he has shows me he's not going to blow one very often. So, you know, we change. It seems like every week who's going to be the favorite at, at Augusta because I, I don't know, gentlemen. It's uh, what is Augusta? Three weeks. So three weeks away. Um, three, three more tournaments. Yeah, have three more tournaments. So it's not long now. So. Uh, I don't know. Uh, how you don't pick him right now would be tough, but three weeks probably not all Guys, I can tell you right now, and this is according to FanDuel Sportsbook, John Rahm and Rory McIlroy are still your favorites at plus 750. Right now, you can get Scotty Scheffler to win the Masters at plus 1300. Would it just be too much for a guy to win the Masters and the Players' Championship and then win another Masters, uh, you know, to cap that little run off, T-Dub? I mean, is it just too much for a guy to do? Well, I think it's the fact that he is the defending champion is probably why it's so low because the, the list of guys who have won back-to-back uh, Masters are, are Jack Nicholas, Nick Faldo, and Tiger Woods. What? Uh, Scotty Shepard did join a list that included Tiger and Jack this recently, so that's why I'm saying it's not the realm of possibility, and Thirteen hundred. I mean, that's absolutely crazy. And especially when the other two guys are down at seven fifty. Even though I, I think that uh, Rory and Rom are still going to. I think Rory's going to probably get something figured out before then. And, and Rom just plays Augusta so well. And as long as he can get over his sickness, I think he's going to be a surefire bet. But I mean, that's crazy, Woody, to have the discrepancy of the odds still that much in favor of the other two guys over Scotty Schiffer, who even when he hasn't won, he's finished fourth, twelfth, eleventh, and seventh this year. I mean, he just he doesn't seem to ever play back golf. He doesn't to me, and uh, I don't know, guys. I, I, of course, uh, you've seen my record of picking. I'm, I'm horrible, so I'm not Las Vegas. So they tend to know more than I know. Um, I I got to tell you, though, that's, that's pretty good that they, they – they think Rom and Rory, and, and I'm not giving up on Rory yet, guys. Uh, I'm going to wait to see how these three weeks unfold. But um, 
I'd be hard pressed not to say that that wouldn't be worth putting a little money down on Scotty just for just for the heck of it. Hey, I agree with you guys because right now I would consider Scotty Scheffler the favorite at Augusta National. I know he won last year. I know he won the Players Championship this year. I don't care. He's just playing the best golf tee to green of anyone we've seen in like the last five years, guys. It's really impressive stuff that we're seeing from Scotty Scheffler. By the way, uh, the, to round out the top five favorites for Augusta, you have Cam Smith at plus 1,500 right behind Scotty Scheffler, and then Justin Thomas and Jordan Speed. they're plus 1,700. So it looks like you're going to be, if you don't like any of those six guys there uh, as the favorites there in the top five of the favorites for the odds for Augusta, I mean, you're going to get massive odds on some guys. Like, say you liked a, a Tony Finau. He's plus 2,400. Or Xander Shoffley at plus 1,900. Or a Dustin Johnson at plus 3,000, guys. I think that uh, you might be able to to find some value right now if you uh, went in and put a little future on one of these guys to win. Uh, guys, I mean... To kind of wrap up this Players' Championship, I enjoyed the product, but I do think that this is the reason why the PGA Tour has gone to limited field, no-cut events, because you did see a bunch of the big names not on top of the leaderboard, much less, I mean, we had guys like Rory McIlroy and uh, like Matthew Fitzpatrick all play terrible. Justin Thomas was down there uh, right on, right around the cut line as well. I think that this is probably the reason why those top players forced the PGA Tour, for lack of a better term, to go into these limited field no-cut events, T-Dub. Yeah, the missed cuts thing is really the big thing because whenever you don't have a guy like Rory McIlroy playing the weekend, there's going to be a lot of people who are really discouraged by that. And you can't really help a situation like John Rahm withdrawing, so that's kind of an exception to this rule. But in all honesty, they kind of lucked out in a sense because you look at the leaderboard, what it was on Saturday evening going to Sunday evening, it was drastically different. And let's just flip it around and say that the leaderboard ended up being what it was on Saturday. You would have had all kinds of guys who more than likely wouldn't have been in those limited field events who would have played really good in this tournament. So it's, I, I think they got a little bit lucky on that aspect that those guys came back a little bit down there. So when you look at the final product, you see Scotty Sheffield, Terrell Hatton, Victor Hovland, Adeki Matsuyama, Max Homa up there, Justin Rose. And you think, oh, okay, well, this just turned out about how it should have anyway. So this kind of that doesn't change anything because we just would have had these players in our field anyway. So I, I don't know, Woody. I, I think that like I've, like we've said this entire time, I think it's better to give the guys a chance against the great players and prove that they can beat them as opposed to playing in another event to just earn a chance to get up there. And, and I think what we saw the first 54 holes of this tournament kind of proved that, at least in my sense. Most definitely. And and you can't knock the Rory's and those guys for trying to get these no cuts and all the money up top, because if I was one of those guys, I'd want that deal. Um, you know, we beat Jay Monahan up a lot on our podcast, but uh, I wouldn't have wanted to have his job the last few years. He had to go through COVID. Now he's going through this attack from Liv. I mean, the guy has held his ground as best he can. He's he's trying to do what he thinks is the best thing for the PGA Tour. I'm sure he's being coached on how to figure out what's the best thing for the PGA Tour. And uh, only time will tell, gentlemen, if, if we like that product or don't like that product, I think people are going to miss just between you and me, the underdog, the men we lead. They, you know what? Where'd he come from? Yeah. I think they're great stories. 
It's what's made golf, I think, one of the best sports ever is because there's always a chance for the underdog to come from nowhere. If all of a sudden you don't even give him a chance to tee up, eh, it's just it's kind of a blemish. It's, I don't, again, I got to see how it's going to all unfold. I don't know. Uh, the verdict's still out. I see where you're coming from, Woody, but the top players in the world, if they lost one of those top five players in the world to live, they got to keep those guys happy. And so, yes, I think that the golf fan might be – you know, catching the brunt of this blow, like catching a stray here. But at the same time, you're still going to see some underdogs in major championships. You're going to see some underdogs play well on the non-elevated PGA Tour events and, and you know, get up into those elevated tour events. You're still going to have some underdogs, but I see what you're saying. There's just not going to be as many. The last thing on Scotty Scheffler that I want to ask both you guys is, it seems like Scotty Scheffler, more than anyone else in the world, more than John Rahm, especially more than Rory McIlroy, more than Brooks Koepka or Dustin Johnson, I feel like Scotty Scheffler is more at peace with himself than any other top golfer in the world. And I feel like when you are under that deep of pressure that it is to win a player's championship or a major championship – you have to be at peace with yourself. And I see that oozing out of Scotty Scheffler, and I absolutely love that. That's one reason why I wouldn't shy away from picking him to win a back-to-back Masters because he is just so at peace with himself and seems like he lives so much in the present, T-Dub. Oh, I think that's 100% right. I mean, you, you just look at it, and obviously we can, we've learned from other athletes that you can hide this extent, but I just don't think Scotty Scheffler's this way it looks like that he has a very good marriage it looks like he has a very healthy uh, family life it looks like he's very happy spiritually he's very openly about that and it looks like him and his caddy have one of the best relationships on the pga church so, i mean he has all the things going right off of the course and he has all the things going right on the course there's obviously a correlation between those two and i think you're absolutely right it seems like that you know a lot of people would probably be pretty nervous and maybe he was somewhere deep down that there's 4.5 million dollars on the line but at the same time he didn't show it, and maybe there's some because he's so comfortable with all those other things. He knows that, well, yes, mon- money's great and it's important to a certain extent. But I, I, I have, I'm ha- like I said, I'm happy with my marriage. My my family's always going to love me no matter what. And those things matter at the end of the day. It's nice to have that cushion and that really that essential love, Woody, because there's a lot of people who, unfortunately, in this world don't have that. And and that's what determines a true champion. Also, uh, T.W. You're spot on with that. I mean. We read a Netflix where we were talking about the simple fact that his caddy, when he left to get Ted Scott as caddy, okay, is one of the reasons he picked him is because of Ted's faith. And I know you're not supposed to talk to politics and religion. I get it. But that faith that he's talking about is what helps him in a lot of these very difficult situations. You combine that with that family that just loves him. And you're exactly right. All of a sudden, the pressure doesn't seem as great. He has so many things going his way. So I think when you get right back down to it, it's easy to look at his golf swing and what he does golf-wise. But you guys are both spot on. you got to look at that circle around, that inner circle around him. How stable is it? His is like the Chinese wall. It's the Great Wall, man. It is strong. So when you've got that much going for you, 
how do you not pick him? I'm kind of like you, Sam. It, it would not shock me in any way if this guy won the Masters. Not in any way, shape, or form. No doubt about it. Woody, tell the people if they want to have things start going their way, they need to start with Quail Creek Bank, right? Hey, Quail Creek Bank's kind of like Scotty Scheffler. You talk about being surrounded with great people. That whole bank is surrounded with nothing but great people. That's why it has been in business for 51 years. It's family-owned. It, of course, has great people around it. If that bank doesn't excite you, there's something wrong with you. If you want to go to a bank that doesn't know your name, you want to go to a bank that doesn't answer the phone, there's lots to choose from, gentlemen. You want to go to a bank where they know your name, they got great loans, they got everything you need from a bank, there's only one bank to go to. It's Quell Creek Bank right there on 122nd and North May. Please go check it out. Quail Creek Bank, the best bank in Oklahoma City. We'll be back after the break, and we will give you guys a college golf update. We're also going to talk about daylight savings time. I hope it is permanent. We've heard a little rumor here. We'll let you guys know what that rumor is on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. And we are back on the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go get all of your local golf news from GolfOklahoma.org. Kim McLeod and Chris Swafford doing a great job not only covering local golf in Oklahoma, but college golf in the Big 12 area as well. By the way, guys, we did something different over this past week. We uploaded our radio show to the podcast. So if you guys like that, give us some feedback uh, and let us know if you enjoyed listening to the radio show. If you missed it on 98.1 FM, WWLS, the sports animal. If you are in the Oklahoma City area, that airs live every single Sunday from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also get our podcast on the sports animal Dot com and the Sports Animal app as well. Guys, speaking of local stories, so Senator James Langford of Oklahoma has come out and said that he is working hard with Senator Marco Rubio on a Sunshine Protection Act. And basically, this is the we get to golf until later all year round act, guys. That means that they are working hard to 
say that basically when we turned the clocks forward yesterday, it'll be the last time we ever change our clocks. We'll just stay in daylight savings time forever. And basically, I tweeted out, I said, so does this mean that the clocks will be locked at crappy, gets dark after work and no time to play golf in the evening's time? Or does this mean that it's locked in summer, I can play golf until 9 p.m. time? Obviously not quite 9 p.m. in the wintertime, but it is. It is. They are trying to lock it in the, I get to play golf after work time, T-Dub. I'm all for it. I, I hope this is permanent. I 100% agree. And I, I think that the way I understand it is, is that if they're able to get it passed federally, then all of a sudden then I'll, we'll be able to do it state. And then we'll, and from what I've been reading, we'll be one of the first states that, that'll pass it. And I, I cannot wait now, for that to happen. Now, will this have to, go to I a think, vote, T-Dub? Or is it just they do it for us? Uh, I, I think that it has to be voted on to some extent. And it, it passed one voting legislation at some point, And now it has to go on to another one. I'm not sure of the exact specifics, but I guess the only argument that I've actually heard against it that only makes any plausible sense is that in the wintertime, it's really cold in the mornings, and so you have kids waiting on school buses and stuff like that, and it's going to be really cold. So I get that point, but that's a, that's a minor consequence, I guess, when you compare to the amount of productivity and things that, that could be done whenever you have more sunlight, Woody. And then you also have just the, the psychological factor of having to adjust a different time twice a year. I think there's a lot of benefits from not changing it, Woody. And at this point, I'm I'm one of the biggest advocates to hope that this does get uh, get passed. Well, it took me about 50 years to figure out how to figure it out. Spring forward, fall back. <laughs> Somebody finally taught me that. So it, it's kind of like that little arrow on your gas gauge in your car where it tells you if it's on the left side or the right side where you fill your tank forever. I didn't know where the hell that thing was either. So, you thought it was uh, full and me, it was empty, huh, Woody? Yeah, I didn't know. It was crazy. But uh, for me, I'm, I'm with you guys. I mean, I'd rather get up and it be dark then get off work and it'd be dark. That's, that's kind of the way I look at it. And if, if that sun stays up a little warm, longer, it's been warmer, you know, out through the day. I'm sorry for the little guys that have to be at the school bus waiting on it, but I'm not at the school bus anymore, so I'm being selfish now, and I'm old. So the heck with you guys. Put on more coats, okay? <laughs> I'm all in. Or, or just I'm start class go. later, Woody. Well, go to class later. Yeah, you can also no. do that and miss your first hour like I did. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> That's exactly yeah, right. Now, now what do you yeah. did bring up some good points off the air. You said that golfers will love this, but golf pros will absolutely hate this because their wintertime hours will get a little longer, a little later in the day, right? Well, back when I was a club pro, and I'm dating myself, we used to have the rule you couldn't close the shop till the last golfer was in. So summertime was just a nightmare. I mean, it, you had those guys out there that would play till I mean, dark at 30. The only time I lost a golf cart is because it was so dark. I couldn't find the golf cart at Oak Tree Country Club. That's another story. But um, I'll tell you this. The golf pros nowadays don't have quite – it's tougher restrictions. A lot of times they can close the shop down before the last card's in. So, uh, you know, again, this is being selfish, but I, I like having more time in the evening. It, it just gives those guys, like you said, Sam, you get done doing your show with Trey for some afternoon and it's 70 degrees and you want to go hit a few balls, but you can't, it's dark. So, um, I like it. I, I think that Langford, uh, I think it has to be voted more from the state than the federal, but I don't know that because Arizona, I think, guys, has already done this. I don't think Arizona 
Well, they are stuck they in mountain like time, so they don't right in the winter time. They are one hour behind in the in the summertime. They're two hours behind, correct? Because we right, spring forward right. and they don't. So they don't do That's daylight exactly savings. Right. This is basically Oklahoma would be the opposite. We sprung forward yeah. and we're never going back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so uh, that's why I say I think it's more state regulated than it is uh, from the standpoint of federally regulated. But, uh, you know, the government wants it involved in everything. So I can't imagine the feds not wanting something to do with it. But <laughs> if they ask me and I get to vote, I'm going to go to the ballot and say, hey, yeah, let's go forward. I'm all in. I'm all in on it, too. Uh, T-Dub, speaking of different legislations, there are some rules, according to the PGA Tour and according to the USGA rulebook, regarding drivers. And Rory McIlroy found himself in the middle of one of these rules controversies this week. And basically, Rory McIlroy said, quote, yeah, obviously, I went to that new driver in Riviera, and it's just not, and then he paused, and then he said, look, I wish that I could use my driver from last year, but I can't because of, and then he paused, and then he said, you use a driver for so long, and it starts to get a little too, and then he paused, and then he said, basically, it just wouldn't pass the test. And the test that he is referring to is the CT test, which is the characteristic time test, which measures how fast or hot a driver's face is. And if the driver's face is too hot or too fast, it can be deemed non-conforming or illegal. We saw this situation with Xander Shoffley's Callaway driver that failed the test before the Open Championship in 2019. And this phenomenon is a little weird. It's opposite of what you would think. When The more you hit your driver, the, the, the new modern driver, the face gets thinner and the face gets hotter. So really, the more you use a driver, the hotter it gets. And so Rory apparently was worried that his older driver wouldn't pass the test. Now, if you go back to this quote, the reason why I emphasized when he paused was because it almost seemed like Rory almost said, look, I wish I could use my driver from last year, but I just can't because of the new driver sucks is what I thought he was going to say. And I thought that he was about to bash TaylorMade. And I feel like almost he is kind of using this CT test as an excuse to, you know, not bash TaylorMade the way that Bryson DeChambeau bashed Cobra. Do you see what I'm saying? I feel like there's a little stench there of maybe some uh, animosity between Rory McIlroy having to use the new driver with TaylorMade uh, and maybe some animosity there that maybe TaylorMade is not making Rory McIlroy very happy right now. Yeah, you can definitely tell there is some uh, animosity going on because if Rory just really liked that driver and he was worried about the face being too thinned out, as, as you broke down very elaborately, especially yesterday, on the radio show, you can get a similar head. You can get the same head. It's a tailor-made has to have one around that you can get and configure, right? And they'll say, oh, well, it's just not the same. It's not the exact same. It's like, okay, that's just a psychological thing at that point. At least that's the way I see it. And uh, I, it appears from a lot of things I've been reading that he has to use the, the new driver in his contract. And 
Well, probably what's happening is that they're not giving Rory any leeway in that, and that's probably really pissing him off at the end of the day. Because it's interesting that Colin Morikawa actually pretty this exact same week went back to his old sim driver that that's multiple years old, not using any of the stealth. So, I mean, we kind of got a what you want to call it, stealth gate, driver gate. What I mean, I don't know, Woody. I mean, you've been around equipment a, a long time. I mean. Can you remember a time where so many players, at least on the surface of it, have been extremely, extremely against the newest driver from a company who's predominantly known for making their drivers? I think that because we were talking about this, they have to come out with a new one every year, almost, from a marketing standpoint. You're going to have hit and misses is what you're going to have. And some guys fit better than others. But what I got out of this that I didn't know so what Sam's telling me is I need to start going out here in my backyard and just beating drivers till I can finally get my face where it's a little hotter because that thing <laughs> just ain't going like it's supposed to. It, I, need, I need a little more distance. Or would one of you guys come over and hit it hard enough where you can spin out my face so I can get a little bit more distance out of it? So this kind of stuff, guys, to me is like when I was talking to Charles Howe the other day, this is like a, my statistics class in college that the only reason the guy passed me it's because he liked me because I failed it miserably. I fail at all this kind of crap that you're talking about, where the core and the, the face and this and that. All I try to do is hit a driver that I can find. If I can do that, it's a good driver to me. I don't, I don't have anything else I worry about. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing, though, that so many players, like this is widespread, and I've even heard this, you know, recently from different professional golfers that – they do not like the stealth drivers. They wish they could go back to the sim, but like uh, T-Dub mentioned, it might be a different contract that a guy like Colin Morikawa has where he has the ability to go back to one of the old tailor-made drivers and Rory McIlroy in his contract has to, has to use the, the newest and greatest stuff from tailor-made so they can promote it, right? And, and so I think this is maybe a little bit bigger deal than they're letting on right now. I 100% agree. I think that it would be a, not a good look for Taylor May and their new driver if Rory McIlroy switched back. I mean, they'd have to do their best to try to try to keep it on the down low. But even then, it would still get out. I mean, golf works or, you know, I mean, on Instagram, we would figure it out pretty quick. But I got a conspiracy theory on Rory, and I think it's leading to why some of his bad golf. I think he has so much internal conflict because I think a lot of things that he has been saying, I don't think he actually believes. I think that you look back to 2013, whenever he switched to Nike, and he's even admitted this. He says one of the main reasons why he didn't go to live was that he felt like then he was just chasing the money, and there was something really battling inside of him that he didn't agree with. And I think he's dealing with that now, Woody. I think that uh, he's being a big spokesman. We've been talking about that. I was saying a lot of them, but I think somewhere deep down, like I said, maybe it's conspiracy theory. I don't have really anything to back it up just besides a gut feeling what I've seen on the golf course, but I don't think he believes everything that he's been telling us. I don't either. And uh, what he's saying is commercial. He's, he wants forgiveness. And they said forgiveness? <laughs> no, forgiveness. I want forgiveness. Okay. Okay. No, it so, was F-O-R. He wasn't saying forgiveness. He was saying forgiveness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, forgiveness. And, and Tiger said it sounded like far to me. So uh, <laughs> I think I, I think that I said it earlier. Uh, in fact, I said it when we were picking for this tournament. I didn't like him because I said he's got too much on his plate. He does have too much on his plate. He's he's a professional golfer. He needs to be like being the professional golfer. He doesn't need to be a spokesperson. He doesn't need to be all that that they say he is, okay? So can he do that? We're going to find out. If, if he can, he's going to be a threat at Augusta in three weeks. If he can't, he's going to 
keep doing what he's doing. So if he wants forgiveness, I'm going to give it to him. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I was going to go the same way that Woody kind of went with that answer. Rory has to stop being an activist and start being the elite golfer that he was beforehand. And like I said, an activist regarding this PGA Tour live war, as Charles Howe said that it's kind of turned into, that it's not. And I feel like Rory did the exact same thing that everyone else, whether they're on PGA Tour or Live, has done. He did what is best for Rory McIlroy, and the media turned him in to a savior and a hero, and maybe that is bothering him when he realizes that the best thing for golf right now is to bring everyone back together, Tita. Well, and it's just crazy because you're 100% right. Like I just alluded to, I mean, he's got so much going on off the course. This is the opposite of Scotty Scheffler in a sense. Where he may have his family life and stuff going on, but he's still caught up in all this other BS that's going on with uh, trying to make sure the PGA Tour is better than live. It's really taking up. But what's crazy about it is he's been complaining about his driver and Yes, he's losing a little bit of strokes compared to where he was, at least in the middle of last year. He's definitely hit his driver better last year, but he's still getting shots off the tee. Three of his last four events, he's been absolutely horrendous with the putter, and uh, this last tournament, the players, by far his worst aspect of his chipping. I mean, I saw multiple times where he had some, uh, I mean, they weren't simple chips, but they were halfway, I mean, a doable, and he just chip them plumb across the green, just let him run out, and it was I don't know, Woody. It seems like that he's he's worried about the driver, and I completely agree that stuff's going off the course and the activist stuff, but I think he needs to spend some time with Brad Paxton on that damn putting green. T-Dub, real quick, before Woody goes, you mentioned the strokes gained over the last three events. This week, when he complains about the driver, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he gain over a shot and a half on the field for the two rounds that he played off the tee? That's right. Yeah, 1.36, yeah. Yeah. Something well, is adding up. It, well, uh, again, it, 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 if he goes to Brad Fax and Brad Fax is going to tell him, hey, clear your mind, son. What are you doing? I mean, he's got too much jumble going on. So uh, the best golfer is the peaceful golfer. Who's that right now, guys? Scotty Shuffler. You, you've talked about it. You've talked about the calm he shows and what's around him. He is that guy. Rory is not, nor, nor is John Rahm right now. John Rahm's fought some demons here the last couple of weeks. If you're looking for the calm, cool, and sophisticated, you're finding it in Scheffler right now. No doubt about it, guys. Let's get to a little college golf. We're nearing the end of college golf season. We're in March right now. Obviously, May, it'll get hectic with the Big 12 tournament and regionals and then the national championship at Greyhawk. But the Sooners, as we talked about last week, uh, were in action. They went to Las Vegas, uh, had a nice final round, finished tied for fifth in Las Vegas, and then played Texas A&M in a match where they won, but they're, they're really starting five, lost three and two to Texas A&M. Uh, against them in a little match play match. But they're going to be back in action along with the OSU Cowboys at the men's NIT at Tucson National. So not only is Live Golf going to be in Tucson this week, uh, OU and OSU will be in Tucson as well. And I think it's interesting when we look at these rankings, uh, guys, I mean – to me, right now, OU is just on the outside of the top 10 looking in, but you have these giants at the top, like a 
Vanderbilt, like a North Carolina, like a Texas Tech, and, and Illinois has been playing some solid golf as well. Does OU have the ability and does OSU have the ability to maybe compete with these guys once we get into the national championship, T-Dub? Oh, I absolutely think that if, they, if if everything goes right, especially I think OU, I think OU is a little bit further along than OSU is just because of all the stuff that OSU lost, and even in their in their last tournament where they finished eleventh, they had to replace uh, Nimgard Peterson or, or yeah, I believe that's who it was who, who was injured. Rasmus so, Nimgard I mean, Peterson, that, that's right. Yeah, so I mean they, they've had it with, and we've alluded to all the stuff Brian Stark and Chikara, all the guys they've left, lost. So I mean OU's a little bit further along on the uh, the golf week rankings. I'm looking at right now. OU's currently tenth. OSU's down at 21st, so I think that's probably about right from what we've seen uh, just comparatively to the other teams. But uh, I think Texas Tech, as, you, as you've been very high on them, Sam, I think they're a distant distant number one, at least right now, in, in the uh, Big 12 rankings. But if OU could just make a little bit of push coming up in these next few events, Woody, I, I think they can make a run at the uh, Big 12 title this year for sure. And, and if OSU starts to find a little bit of form, they can as well, but they got, they got a little bit more ground to make up. I agree totally, and and we're we're still talking about eighteen to twenty two year old kids. We don't know what's going to happen. They could gel at any time. You're on amateur golf, college golf. Jay Siegel was back in the late seventies, early eighties. Was an amateur, played amateur golf. Was an insurance agent. That's all he did was play amateur golf. He won two U.S. amateurs in nineteen eighty two and eighty three, and countless mid amateurs. I don't know how many he won of that, but he did win two. U.S. Amherst back-to-back, beating uh, young men uh, 15, 16 years younger than him, beat them both eight and seven. Jay Siegel was one of the best amateur golfers I'd ever seen. He was phenomenal, gentlemen. The reason why I brought him up is the Golf Hall of Fame is trying to figure out if they want to make him a member. You know, I'm off the subject a little bit, but when you've got a guy that is that, that age and that stayed amateur and played like Bobby Jones, is the great Bobby Jones did for so many years, how can you even hesitate doing it? And and that's why sometimes our golf foundations just crack me up. You know, you say one thing and you do something totally different. So he was up for the Hall of Fame this year and they didn't vote him through. And there's a lot of people that are very disappointed, me included. Uh, um, no way this guy should not be in the Golf Hall of Fame. And, and I, I want to get on my soapbox a little bit. Maybe there's somebody out there listening to our podcast they voted on that and if you didn't vote him in you're an idiot t-dub i gotta get your thoughts on vanderbilt because vanderbilt goes to cabo and wins the golf tournament not by a little margin they were 18 under for instance oklahoma state was tied for 11th down there at 26 over par and when we look at the individual rankings right now i mean you have cole Sargent, who won the won the uh national championship last year as a freshman they also have wells williams uh who is a freshman at vanderbilt as well to go along with that great squad they had last year maybe we were sleeping on vanderbilt a little bit when we were making our picks whether it be north carolina texas tech or uh you know some of these other schools at the top by the way right now vanderbilt is number one texas tech number two arizona state is number three and arizona state finished third in that tucson tournament uh uh, four shots behind old miss uh in that Tucson in that cabo tournament they're headed to tucson this week yeah we definitely haven't been giving vanderbilt enough credit this year I mean, Gordon Sargent just mentioned, and Wells Williams, who won the tournament down that uh, the Cabo tournament that OSU played in. 
I mean, they, they've got a, a definitely loaded team. And not exactly as familiar with Arizona State as I am with the, some of the other teams, but we've been talking about North Carolina and Texas Tech for, for this entire year. And I feel like that they've uh, they've all got – are clearly – those are the four teams that would be highly disappointing if they didn't make the, uh, the top eight match play going in. I mean, they would just be absolutely disappointing seasons if that wasn't the case. So, I mean, like I said, that I don't feel like we've been giving Vanderbilt enough credit. I'm still sticking with my North Carolina pick. Maybe that'll change – over the next month or two, but at least at this point, uh, I'm still staying with North Carolina, even though Vanderbilt is proving that uh, they've got a very, very loaded team. You know what, Sam? When you're talking about these college teams, you guys mentioned those first five. I don't know. I mean, I, I'd go all the way down to like OU, like we said, could possibly win this. It, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. Okay, so I don't, I don't know how as a podcast we can sit and say, yeah, this is the team. It's kind of like picking the number one player in the world. Uh, I think all these guys have got that potential in us to always remember match play. And you know, match play, that just changes the whole thing, guys. We we really don't know then. No doubt about it, guys. We will be back on Wednesday for our preview shows. Live Golf is in Tucson this week. Tito, where's the PGA Tour this week, by the way? I can't remember. <laughs> Valspar Championship. The that Valspar. Gotcha. The old snake pit. The old snake pit. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it is not an elevated event this week at the Valspar, so you're not going to see Tiger Woods out at the Valspar like we've seen in the past couple of years. You're not going to see Rory McIlroy or any of those guys. It's a live week this week, and we're going to have our live preview uh, for Live Tucson as we lead up to the Masters. So we're going to see some other Masters favorites, such as Cam Smith and Dustin Johnson in Tucson. See how their games are leading up to Augusta National. We'll have our best picks and best bets of the week. Speaking of that, T-Dub, how did your one-and-dones go this week? Oh, it was just absolutely marvelous. I mean, just gotta, I gotta give the old Jim Traber, give it up to myself with my Scotty Shepherd pick. I mean, 4.5 million. I mean, it just evolved me up from essentially DFL to I'm up in the top four, uh, 35 now. So I've, I've got a striking distance. I've almost caught you now, Sam. So, uh, we might have a little shootout going forward, at least up until Masters. So, uh, I mean, just absolute awesome pick by, uh, on my part. No doubt about it. I give it up to you, T-Dub, on that pick. And obviously, Jason Day was your other pick. We picked two for the players. That was pretty solid as well. I had Justin Thomas. He disappointed me on the weekend. But Victor Hovland saved the day uh, and made what, – what did Victor Hovland make this week, by the way? Was it like $2 million for finishing tied for third or something like that, T-Dub? I think it was $1.4. $1.4 million. So he saved the day for me a little bit. I'm still up there in like tied for 12th in our 150-man one-and-done pool. So that's going to be really interesting to look at throughout the season. Obviously, we'll give you our best bets for Liv next week. And Woody, thank you. T-Dub, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Podcast. Like I said at the beginning of this segment, please go to golfoklahoma.org, get all of your local golf news, visit our friends at Quail Creek Bank, and go to thesportsanimal.com as well. We are right there on the podcast page. And also, subscribe. By the way, I was notified of something interesting. The Apple has changed it from subscribe. Now it is called follow and unfollow. So follow us on Apple. Subscribe on Spotify. It's absolutely free. Just helps us out and lets you know when we drop a new episode. So definitely do that. And we will be back on Wednesday. Go ahead. Hey, Sam, 
Sam, one thing before we leave this podcast, I yep. want our listeners to understand how little you guys appreciate me that during this tournament, I had picked John Rahm as one of I one and done, and somebody <laughs> sent me a text message during the weekend. Oh, bad news. Uh, Rahm withdrew. Nobody has him in the one and done, really, do they? <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up, buddy. I wasn't trying to people? make you look bad. You did it to yourself no, no, just no, now. No, 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 no. Don't cry that out of this one. I want our listeners to know how how you all treat this old man. They're vicious to me. You people listening, they're just vicious. And I do the best I can with what little knowledge I have, but they just rip me when I do something stupid. So don't cut this either, Sam. Do not cut this out of the show. <laughs> this is the 73rd old podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. <laughs>